Supercharged with Ali Geary on RTE Radio 1. Welcome back to Supercharged with me, Anna Geary. It is great to be back sitting here in this chair. I hope you all had a brilliant summer. Supercharged is your dedicated health and wellbeing show. And what better time to talk about health and wellbeing than September? You know, we all tend to to hit the reset button around this time of year. No more ice creams because we're back to school. Or as my friend puts it, back to porridge. Now, Supercharge is so much more than a health and wellbeing show. It's expert-led. It's facts-driven. It's about quashing those health misconceptions. And you know what? It's about shared experiences too, hearing about your personal stories. We'll cover taboo topics. You know, the ones that we should be talking about, but we're not. Like in the last series with Your Health, we explore topics as diverse as anabolic steroids, comfort eating, fertility, grief... And and this series, I wanted to find out what you wanted to deep dive into. So I asked you on Instagram. So many of you came back and believe it or not, what came up again and again was bloating. Yeah, bloating. So we listened. And that is going to be one of the topics we're going to be exploring today. And some of you have already been in touch with your stories about living with bloating. Have a listen. I often suffer from uh, bloating and get a red rash from certain types of breads. Um, so I get a rash down the side of my nose or on my eyebrows. It's always a frustration now when you work really hard in the gym and <laughs> you constantly have this bloating belly. And my anxiety definitely triggers it a lot. And I seem to hold all my tension in my abdominal area, which then affects the bloating. And I think it's considered a minor symptom, but when your clothes don't fit or you're too uncomfortable to eat or sit for a long time, it can really impact on the choices you make and your quality of life. So bloating affects men and women of all ages. And I'm going to be chatting with gastroenterologist Dr Deirdre O'Donovan to find out why it happens, the triggers, the causes and how to help alleviate it. A little later in the show then, we'll switch our attention from the gut to the gums. And I'm going to talk to a periodontist to get his top tips for tip-top gums. I'm not saying that again, that's a tongue twister. We are going to be looking at some health stories of the week as well. And before we wrap, I want to share with you a life-changing, yet life-changing health hack that is going to blow your mind. I know we have a lot to cover, so let's get right into it. Supercharged with Alec Geary on RTE Radio 1. Now, my first guest today is Deirdre O'Raw, who's going to share with us what happened when her stomach first started to bloat. Deirdre, you're very welcome to Supercharged. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being with us. Take us back to February 2020. What happened? So, as you know, February 2020, lockdown happened. Everybody was shut up. And I noticed that I'd put on an extra bit of weight. And I'd had a very stressful house move before Christmas. I was studying, trying to train and I was up to my eyeballs at work as well. And it was just really, really stressful. So I kind of went, do you know what? I've had a stressful time. I ate rings around myself at Christmas and I put on an extra few pounds. So it was like, I'm going to train. I'm going to sort out my diet and I'll Mm -hmm. be fine. And then come, say, April, I'd started doing yoga every morning like Mm -hmm. everyone else during lockdown and the lower part of my stomach was feeling really tight and I was like, I'm using them muscles. I'm going to be ripped for the summer. 
So all the time you were telling yourself, yeah, this, this must is be the normal. reason why. Okay. And then I'm middle of my, like mid, middle age. So I was 43, 44 at the time. And I was like, this is what happens when you're in your 40s. You put on the extra few pounds perfectly fine. And then the first weekend of July, I was on duty and work and I ate food that I wouldn't normally eat. Okay. And I went, went home the next morning and about lunchtime, my stomach blew up into a big, hard, solid lump. And I went, I'm after eating something. I am after having a reaction to something. Mm-hmm. My IBS has flared up. There's something gone horribly wrong. Give it three weeks later, my stomach was still really swollen. Um, when I was getting changed for training, I looked in the mirror and I was like, if I didn't know better, I'd say I was a couple of months pregnant because I'd seen my two sisters pregnant and I knew the shape of the belly and I was like, I'm not pregnant. I'm really not pregnant. At any point in those three weeks, were you starting to think maybe something is up or were you just thinking, you know, it's all the things you just I mentioned? I was just thinking it's a really long IBS breakout. That's honestly what I thought it was. And I remember giving out to my friends when I was swimming going, it's bloody IBS flare up. It won't go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Friday night, one of the Friday nights, I woke up with a pain in my side and it was early in the morning. And I was like, I'm really busy in work. If I don't do something on Saturday, I'm just going to carry on. And I either get on with it or I get it seen to. And I rang the doc and I said, I had a really bad pain in my side. It was like a really, really, really bad period pain. Rang the doc and he said, go up to tell A&E. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just a really unusual presentation of appendicitis or something like that. Um, that was the Saturday I went up to tell at A&E and then Tuesday morning I found out I had ovarian cancer. Oh my God. Yeah. What was, what was going through your mind? It was like, it couldn't be me. Like, I'm, I'm fit. I'm healthy. I, like, I don't have a horrific diet. I, there's no reason why I should have cancer. And I was just like, no, no, it's not cancer. And and the only symptom that seemed to be showing was the bloating. The bloating, yeah. It really, really bad bloating. Um, now, I'd had the coil fitted the year previous, mm-hmm. so I had no periods. Okay. So it's not like my period stopped. I didn't have them. So the bloating for me was the biggest symptom. And, and for a lot of people, they mightn't even be aware of the fact that bloating actually is a symptom of ovarian yeah, cancer. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's not like normal bloating, you know, where you have your Christmas dinner mm-hmm. and your belly swells mm-hmm. for a day or two. It's that persistent bloating. And my stomach had started to bloat back in February. But I just, I put it down to I'm middle aged. This is and, what and happens. And so many of us do. We'll, we'll tell ourselves the reasons why this is probably happening. Because we will we'll come up with almost like self-diagnose. But yeah. in actual fact, would you say it, it was the pain or what was the catalyst? Was it the pain? Had the pain not presented itself and you had to go into any like, do you I, think I that you would have gone? I wouldn't have seat? gone in. Really? Yeah, I wouldn't have. And I'm really lucky I went in when I did. So say I was diagnosed 28th of July, mm-hmm. the 21st of August, I had my surgery and the highest tumours they found were actually on my diaphragm. So oh for me, they caught it before mm-hmm. it got into my lungs. And I know it's it was still stage three, but it just, I thought if it's not in my lungs, I can fight it. 
Um, and and how are you now? You know, you you've we've we've come on. You know, we've, yeah. we've, time has passed. How are you feeling now? I'm doing okay. I'm still on my maintenance treatment, so I have another nine months left of that. Mm. And yeah, everything is going well. There's no visible signs of any tumours at the moment. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. And I'm back training. I'm back swimming. I'm back in work full time. So yeah, life has moved on. But I'm very conscious now because I don't have ovaries anymore. Mm. I have to be very aware of if I'm putting on weight in an odd way, because I won't like that's my sign that something is wrong Mm -hmm. and I have to go back and kind of go ring the doctor and go, well, I'm back bloating again or I'm retaining weight. So, yeah. And and this this isn't scaremongering. This is really about raising awareness that bloating sometimes can lead to more serious underlying conditions. And for people to put their hand up or to ask for help and not just maybe, you know, and we've all done that. We've moaned with our friends about feeling bloated. But if it is persistent to, to seek help, like what advice would you give to other women maybe with similar symptoms? Yeah, I definitely go to your GP, get checked out. Now, if... As I said, if it's for a day or two, it's kind of. But if it's persistent, go to your doctor, get checked out, because the earlier they catch the cancer, the more curable it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and the it it means the less treatment possibly you may need. Now, everybody's case is different, but you just don't want to leave it too long because ovarian cancer they'll never give you the all clear for it because it has such a high recurrence rate. Mm -hmm. So if you can catch it early, get rid of it early, your chance of survival is much, much higher. I like, would you say that the conversation, say, with friends and family for you have shifted in that you would be, I suppose, much more thorough or you don't want people blow things off sometimes from a health point of view. I'll get that checked down the line or down the road. Like, would you be more aware of other aspects of health now as well, too, because of that? Oh, completely. Yeah, it's like a friend of mine, her dad has a new mole and I'm like, go and get it checked out. Mm -hmm. Have you not got that checked out? Why Mm -hmm. aren't you getting these things checked out? And it's literally just it's about raising awareness Mm -hmm. and catching things early. Yeah, because I wouldn't want anybody to go through what I've been through. Well, I'm so grateful that you've come in to share your story. And I'm sure you have given us plenty of food for thought, but also raised that awareness that something as seemingly trivial as bloating can lead to something else. So look, get checked. If, you, if you're worried about anything, better to be, to be safe than to be wondering. So Deirdre, thank you so much for coming in and chatting with us today. And, and I'm sure you have helped so many people without even realising it. And for anybody who wants further information or has been affected by ovarian cancer, you'll find out more information on overcare.ie. Supercharged with Alec Geary on RTE Radio 1. Joining me now is gastroenterologist Dr. Deirdre O'Donovan. Thank you for joining us on Supercharged. We've just been listening to Deirdre O'Rall's story. There was a very serious underlying cause for her bloating, but Deirdre, is that something that you're always watching out for? Hi, Anna. Well, yes, it is. I mean, I think Deirdre's story is... A really terrible story, to be honest. Um, it is unfortunately something that we are always looking out for. Um, and I think she highlights a real challenge where people might have suffered with bloating for 
many years for very sort of innocent reasons and IBS would be very common. Um, but something had changed about her bloating. And I think that's really the key message. She went from bloating that might have been more intermittent to bloating that was persistent. And I think that's a message to everybody. Bloating that is persistent is something that really needs to be checked out. And we've actually only got a text in here from Marissa who said, the same thing, her bloating turned out to be stage three bowel cancer. So she said here, persistent bloating, get it checked. Absolutely. And I mean, it is so easy to get it checked. Just go down to your GP. Something like a pelvic ultrasound will give a lot of information. In some cases, we might need to do a colonoscopy, have a look into the bowel. But these tests can all be organised. So don't sit at home worrying Go and act on it. Persistent bloating, it's a really important message. And do you think people are worrying about it or is it that they think it's not serious enough to go to your GP about? Yeah, well, I guess some people think that it is just sort of a cosmetic problem. You know, can I fit into these clothes? And a lot of people who come into me will have two different sets of clothes in their wardrobe, one for the day where they're not bloated and another for the day that they are, or maybe elasticated clothes to allow for bloating. Um, And I think, you know, bloating that is occurring after eating that's going up and going down is less likely to be something sinister. But bloating that is persistent if you are remaining bloated, a constant bloating, really you need to get that investigated. Well, so many people have been getting in touch with us, sharing their stories and telling us about their own bloating. Have a listen to this. Hi Anna, Roisin here. I began suffering from bloating and dizziness in my early 30s. The dizziness was usually around the same time as my period, but the bloating could appear at any time and tended to disappear a couple of days later. When I went to the doctor with my symptoms, we discussed avoiding certain foods, whether there was a family history of food intolerances and the possibility of IBS. My symptoms were getting worse quite quickly and the bloating was becoming really noticeable. I often felt nauseous when eating and I think it's considered a minor symptom, but when your clothes don't fit or you're too uncomfortable to eat or sit for a long time, it can really impact on the choices you make and your quality of life. Around four months after my doctor's appointment, I collapsed, was rushed to A&E where an abdominal scan showed a large cyst on one of my ovaries. I was operated on 48 hours later and was found to have stage four endometriosis. Hi Anna, this is Helen. I live in Kildare. I have had significant bloating and discomfort. I've lived with it for years now. And despite trying low FADMAP diets, other types of diets. I've been to a specialist. I would notice small improvements to begin with and then it would revert again to absolute bloating, feeling uncomfortable, terrible constipation, struggling to find things to eat that might agree with you or not agree with you. Anna, it would be great to hear other people's experiences and see if there are any new things that I could learn or take on board that could help make improvements. Hi, my name is Sarah from Monaghan. Yeah, so I would suffer with bloating. Like sometimes it'd be that severe that like, I would just be in bed with it. I do suffer with IBS and I think that's can sometimes can correlate with it. It's always a frustration now when you work really hard in the gym and <laughs> you constantly have this bloating belly. Um, and obviously doing all your food habits right and stuff like that and trying to eat healthy and clean and um, I suppose it's more looking for advice and like what how to help or prevent it and um, from happening 
you can hear so many people just like in desperation and out of frustration, just looking for advice, looking for for cures, like because that's that's what they need. And like there are a variety of of possible causes for bloating. So let's let's start there. Like what could they be? Well, I think the the first lady that we listened to there highlighted the sort of gynae and the hormonal contribution to bloating. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the key thing in her, in her message there was that she had bloating that went on for a couple of days. Then it would ease off and go away. Then it would come back again. And I think one of the first useful things that people can do to try and understand their bloating is to keep a diary and see, does it correlate, for example, with their menstrual cycle if it's mm-hmm. if it's a woman? Um, because sometimes you will see a pattern. You might see the bloating getting worse in the middle of your menstrual cycle. And then again, when your period is about to start. Mm-hmm. So you can sort of pick up that it could be hormonal. And it was in her case. And so obviously, you know, the treatment pathway will be down the gynae route, whether it's treating endometriosis or whatever it is. The second lady is interesting because her bloating related a bit more to constipation. So slow transit through her bowel. And obviously she's been through a lot of different sort of trials with exclusion diets and the FODMAP diet is something that we can talk about. That tends to be useful for people with bloating with diarrhea. But in her case, um, the idea of maybe trying to improve the, the transit time through her bowel. So we have a lot of new drugs that are available to us now that are beyond laxatives that actually work on trying to improve the muscle function and get better movement through the bowel. And that can be really helpful for bloating for that particular cause. So, you know, there's a whole variety of causes. Um, and if you break it down into the gynae, which might relate to hormonal influences, then you have the big group that come under the umbrella of irritable bowel syndrome. So if you have a painful sort of bloating, the, the pain and discomfort, that's a key to, to IBS. And there are many factors that will lead into that. It could be your diet. It could be food intolerances. It could be something like celiac disease, very common in Ireland. One of the things that we all need to be thinking of with bloating. Um, It could relate to your bowel habit, whether you tend to be constipated or whether you tend to have diarrhea. And it might also relate to your microbiome, your your gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. And if they're a less favorable makeup, That could be the problem. And often people struggle. They've tried lots of different diets. And actually, it's not really the food they're eating. It's the gut bacteria. And when we manipulate that, we improve the situation. And then you also have a group of people. And I think the last lady highlighted the fact that, you know, if you are busy or if you're a bit stressed, that Mm -hmm. that can be a factor as well. Yeah, we're getting lots of text messages in about stress. Huge. That's triggering for them. Huge. I mean, your your tummy is your emotional brain. Mm -hmm. And so you might be coping just fine, but your stomach might be processing everything yeah. that's you going on. You think you're coping it's, fine. It's, you're, like, that's you're, me. you're paddling yeah. under the water <laughs> yeah. and I'm you're getting fine. these bloats. And then all of a sudden, like, that would be, I suppose, an indicator for me that I might be possibly stressed. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And there are ways of dealing with that. So you don't need to suffer in silence. Now, we're actually after getting a question in here um, from Daniel. So let's have a listen. Hi, Anna. It's uh, Daniel here. Uh, I often suffer from uh, bloating and get a red rash from certain types of breads. Um, so I get a rash down the side of my nose or on my eyebrows. Is there a, uh, an allergy test I could take or any advice would be appreciated? Cheers. Yeah, so I suppose the first thing in relation to Daniel's case, we would think of something like celiac disease. Mm-hmm. Um, very easily tested for. Simple blood test down with the GP. Very important that you're taking gluten 
and wheat in your diet before you go and get that test done. But even if the celiac test is negative, uh, there's a group of people who may not have celiac disease but are still intolerant of gluten. And I often find actually working maybe just one trip down to a dietitian just to discuss that can be much more useful nearly than getting a whole load of food intolerance tests done. Yeah. And um, because the dietitians will often get you to keep a little food diary and they can sort of pair what you've been eating with the symptoms. And what what would you say in your experience are the main food triggers? So there's no doubt that gluten and wheat in general, a lot of people will report that. Dairy, in other cases, can be a factor. And then we talk about these sort of natural sugars like fructose. So mm-hmm. apples might be oh, a big offender. I had I to know. stop eating apples. Oh An my apple gosh. a day, not necessarily the best for everybody, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Onion and garlic. I would say apples, onion and garlic are my three big ones that I would see. And even how you eat I believe, can affect bloating. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, it sort of stands to reason, doesn't it? If we're all wolfing down our our meals rapidly without chewing properly, it it is part of the digestive process to to chew your your food and Mm -hmm. to take your time not rush your meals. Um, People are probably laughing in their kitchens and in their car saying, I don't have time. Like I actually read somewhere that you have to technically chew every mouthful of food 32 times. And I laughed at that. I never do that. (laughs) Yeah, well, I don't think any of us do that, to (laughs) be honest with you. Um, But just that idea that you might be a little bit more mindful when Mm -hmm. you're eating. So instead of just sitting in front of the TV, actually just to take a, a little bit of time just to eat properly. Now, there's a lot of information out there about the do's and don'ts and the shoulds and should nots when it comes to bloating. Where should people be getting that accurate information? Well, I suppose the first thing to say is I would always caution people about social media because there's a lot of people on there who will have their own views, their own experiences. They don't necessarily apply to you. And I find one of the big challenges that I have when people come in to me is they're very, very fixated on a certain type of diet, a a clean diet Mm -hmm. that they should be following, that they feel is healthy. And this might be full of fibre, which might be great for somebody who has bad constipation, but it just might be really, really harsh on a sensitive bowel. So you, you need to keep an open mind. I think it's worth chatting to the GP. If not, go and see a dietitian. They will give you great advice. Well, there's another question after coming in here. It's a voice question, I think. So let's have a listen. Hi, Anna. Anne-Marie here. My question is in relation to perimenopause and bloating. I never suffered with bloating before now. And for the last year, it's been really bad most of the month. And I really don't know what's causing it. Like, is there something behind it apart from perimenopause as in have I become suddenly more affected by bread or other things I'm really not sure and love to know why yes so I mean it is a little unusual to suddenly become intolerant of foods Mm. I know around the menopause a lot of different things will happen it is worth going down to the GP getting your bloods checked to check your hormonal levels getting an ultrasound just to check the ovaries and make sure they're okay. Um, Food, you can develop celiac at any stage in your life. And so that is worth testing. But I'd be a little reluctant to say suddenly around the perimenopause that you suddenly, you know, develop a food allergy. It's unlikely. I do have to ask a question, though, because a lot of women openly talk about bloating and we'll often moan in our friendship groups. But is it a case that 
most people that would come to you with bloating issues and challenges are women? Are men coming? Do they experience them at the same level? I'm just curious to know. So I'd say that if I look at everyone who comes to me with bloating, 95% of them are women. Is that because the men don't suffer as much or is it because they're reluctant to seek help? Yeah, I wonder if it's a little bit more of the latter. Um, And I often find the men that do come are really in a bad way with Mm -hmm. their symptoms by the time they actually reach my door, Mm -hmm. which is such a pity. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe women are just a little bit more used to presenting themselves and because they discuss it with each other they're a little bit more likely to come forward. So put your hand up and ask for the help. I do have to ask you though about the over the counter solutions. You know do they work? Are they worth trying for people? Yeah so I think again you know when you move away from that persistent bloating that really does need medical attention and you feel that it is just an intermittent something you've eaten and you you bloat afterwards the -the over-the-counter remedies can be really really helpful and I'd often recommend that people might consider taking a probiotic for a month or two Mm -hmm. they can be useful Uh, and even simple things like colpermin which is a peppermint capsule over the counter right. can be really, really effective at reducing bloating. That's excellent. Well, I actually, we we have a few more people. There seems to be a huge response. I can't actually keep up with the messages coming in. And a few more people have been sharing their stories about bloating. Have a listen. Hey, Anna, this is uh, Sinead from Cork. Um, just like following up on uh, your post about uh, bloating. Yeah, I do suffer a lot from bloating. Um, and my anxiety definitely triggers it a lot. And I seem to hold all my tension in my abdominal area, which then affects the bloating. And actually, the more I think about the bloating, it actually seems to get worse. And then I try to kind of control it with foods or drinks or whatever. And actually, when I think about it even more, it's actually just down to being anxious. So it's very, very hard to control it. It's it's something that's really important to discuss and kind of figure out how to control it. Hi Anna, Neve here, Dub living in Kildare. Just about bloating, I have to say, I'm in my mid-30s and been suffering with my stomach and bloating since I was about 20. And I am forever asked, have I any news? With a little side look. And they always expect you to tell them that you're expecting. And I'm never expecting, it's just always bloating or food. Yeah, no fun, but there you go. Thank you. Bye. Like people have a real emotional response often to bloating because they can be insecure about it and quite vulnerable. The last thing you want is somebody pointing it out. But the reality is sometimes you can't hide it. I think a question coming in that seems to be recurring as I read the text is, what do you do when you've tried the food and lifestyle changes and it's not working? So if that those simple measures aren't working, it is worth having a chat with the GP. So sometimes if your bloating, say, for example, is associated with a lot of gas Mm -hmm. and a lot of flatulence, it might be that giving you a particular type of antibiotic to improve your gut flora is really going to help the situation. As uh, that lady just mentioned, stress and anxiety is a huge factor and we can manage that. And sometimes people will need maybe to go on a very, very low dose of an anti-anxiety pill and actually just to treat the bloating. Really? So it's not that we necessarily think that you're depressed or you're anxious, but we're treating that tummy, that emotional brain 
down there. There's a lot of serotonin there and it can really mm-hmm. respond positively to those sorts of tablets. Very low dose. And people are often amazed because I'll sit down and talk to people about it. It's a big step for anyone to consider going Absolutely. on a medication like that. But it can make a huge difference. And there's a message coming in as well about battling for, for years with bloating. Started taking um, a particular probiotic for a number of months and it worked. And I suppose for a lot of people, they don't know what probiotic. Is there some better than others? You know, what should they be looking out for? You'll see some being pushed and promoted on social media. You know, sometimes it's overwhelming because there's, there's so much choice out there and they don't know what to go for. It is overwhelming. Um, and I think... My advice to people is to go down to the pharmacy, talk to your pharmacist. Mm-hmm. They'll often give you good advice. Generally speaking, I will advise a probiotic that comes as a capsule form as opposed to one that you're just going to take in a yogurt form, for okay. example. Um, and different types of probiotics for slightly different symptoms. They work probably most effectively If there's bloating and if it's associated with gas, if there's a little bit of diarrhea, there may be a little less effective when it's a constipation problem associated with the bloating. Last last question, a quick word on colonic irrigation. We've had some emails coming into the show in the past promoting them. What are your thoughts on them? Well, I'm not about to take myself off to have a colonic irrigation. (laughs) Um, I've never had one myself either, for the record. It it is something that a lot of people will come into me and they'll say that they have done and they'll say that they benefited from it. But it is not something that I would advise. I I don't think it's, it's regulated. And if you have a condition in your bowel like diverticulosis, little puckers, there's a small risk that you could damage your bowel. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely advise people to avoid it. I think we'll we'll leave it on that note. Deirdre O'Donovan, gastroenterologist, thank you so much for coming into studio today. You've shed so much light. There has been so many texts coming in. We'll have to get you back in again soon. Just thank you for your advice. Thanks a million, Anna. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. And now, Hugh Hick has been keeping a sharp eye on some health and wellbeing stories that have been trending on social media. And he's here with us to bring us the top stories that have been gaining attention. Hugh, you have the floor. What has been making the news this week? We'll be delighted, Anna, today. I've got some good news. Oh, I, I, think I love could, good news. I think we could all do with a bit of good news uh, yes. the time we've been having recently. And actually, as it turns out, I think everyone else does because they're just piling it on on uh, social media this week. We'll start, uh, obviously, we're talking uh, this episode a lot about the gut. And when mm-hmm. we talk about the gut, we always talk about vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And not only the gut, it's been shown to have a load of health benefits for a lot of things. Even during COVID, they talked a lot about uh, how it was good for the uh, uh, immune system. So the question is, what is the best way for us to get vitamin D into us? And I know a lot of people, some people do juices, some people take it with water, some people, all variety of ways to do it. So they actually have tried to test now what is the best way to get vitamin D into your body. So they've put all of these different ways up on a table, got a few people to try it. This is in our house university in Denmark. And apparently the best way to do it, and this is quite surprising, Water and milk 
are tied ahead of juice. Now you might think that's a bit strange because water and milk don't share a lot in common. I mean, mm. milk is obviously there's a lot of fat in it. Water. Is water. Now, there is a lot of water in milk, though, to be fair, too. So well, maybe th- maybe there's the connection. Maybe maybe I'm already thinking about it. Well, th- that's true. But they uh, essentially what they just did, they, they took a, n- a number of these, including uh, water, milk, juice, um, whey protein as well. So uh, they measured uh, the participants after two, four, six hours. They took blood samples. And it just turns out that there was a, d- a definite correlation in terms of people who drank the milk and the water. They just... they, they they top the charts, charts yeah. in terms of vitamin D. So they digested the vitamin D better. Yeah. So wow. at least you've got a choice anyway. So even if you're not mad into your milk, you can just go for water. Mm. And, you know, you can't beat water. I mean, it, it really is so good for mm. you, isn't it? And, of course, reminding people that vitamin D, a source of it, is also getting outside in the sunshine. But, of course, you do need to supplement from September to March, April as well when the sun just doesn't give us enough vitamin D. And in Ireland, we probably don't get enough vitamin D. So that is very important. Okay. Now, we are going to a Reddit post that went viral suggesting there might be a simple treatment for tinnitus. Tell us more. I, I could not believe this. I came across this this week. It all started actually on a Reddit post a couple of years ago uh, where um, one person complained of having tinnitus and a poster said, have you ever tried putting your palms in your ears and thumping the soft spot at the back of your head? It's kind of like thumping it for about 30 seconds. Try that. And he said, "I try that. Sometimes mine goes away for the rest of the day when I do that. Now, this went viral on Twitter this week when someone uh, posted a Mm -hmm. screenshot of this and people started doing it and a lot of people posting I have not been able to hear properly for 10 years I am now hearing silence for the first time in 10 years well I can tell you two things number one the boss on the other side of the glass here had a swishing noise I'm not going to spell that word but I can say it's swishing noise in her ear she tried this and she said she doesn't get ahead of herself but it did work So I'm asking all of you that might suffer from tinnitus or no, try it out. Let us know how you get on. You can email us at supercharged at rte.ie. University of Cork are looking for something. What are they looking for? Well, Anna, if, you, if you're like me, you'll be very excited about this story because I'm definitely the sort of person who needs at least three to five cups of coffee just to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> People are nodding with you right now. Particularly uh, as September hits. Um, for you, it might be back to porridge, but it's back to coffee definitely for me. <laughs> um, and people like me will be delighted because the University College Cork are actually seeking people who drink three to five cups of coffee a day because a lot of this has been said about caffeine and obviously it's not, like anything, it's not great to be drinking too much caffeine per day. But there are, is definitely a science suggesting that there are some positive benefits to having a okay. little bit of caffeine. People are also smiling now again at that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to enable anyone's <laughs> habit here. But what the, what University College Cork and particularly two researchers are trying to do is actually quantify exactly what the health benefits might be because they reckon it might be healthy you'll be in snow for your gut oh. and also for your head as well. So they want to actually get not only people who love co- coffee but also a few of the haters as well oh, yeah. and, you know, uh, try and line them up and see what exactly it is. So... They want you, it's a bit of an Uncle Sam moment here. So they want people who are passionate about coffee to get in touch. So you can get in touch with uh, Caroline O'Leary at carolineoleary at ucc.ie. Brilliant. And say, I love my coffee. And also the people that don't like your coffee. You know those people that say, oh no, I won't drink any tea or coffee. Like my friend is like that, don't understand it. You can also get in touch with them as well because they're looking for you too. That is excellent. There's so much happening this week and we only just scratched the surface there. But that is some very interesting health and well-being stories. Hugh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Anna.
now from guts to gums. Joining me is periodontist Dr. Richard Leakin from Dublin's Mint Clinic to give us his top tips for tip top gums. Welcome, Richard. Thank Hi. you so much for being with us today on Supercharged. Hi, Anna. Thanks. Great opportunity. Thank you so much oh, for the invitation. No. It's so important that we talk about gum health. Absolutely. So you tell us, why is it important that we talk about gum Yeah, health? so, you know, the mouth is an incredible place. You know, if you think about what goes on in there, it's under attack 24-7. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. people think that uh, even when they're sleeping, uh, things are happening that they're not aware of. And uh, gum health is something that I've always been interested in. I qualified in dentistry and specialised in the area of gums. And, you know, most people don't actually know what goes on inside the mouth and let alone what goes on underneath the teeth. So my area of interest particularly is that pink tissue that attaches teeth you know, and it's so important. Nowadays, we're seeing so many people who are really interested in, in gum health and they know so much about their conditions. So, you know, we talk about gums. Sometimes you think, you know, good gums and healthy gums, but also gum disease. So what are the signs that your gums mightn't be as good as they should be? Great question. So I suppose, you know, one of the things that uh, we find in our clinic is, is gum disease can happen to anyone. In fact, studies show that nearly everyone has it at some stage of their life. Really? Yes, absolutely. And um, for those patients, it starts oftentimes as a, as a mild form of the condition. Um, but what we oftentimes find is that um, the disease progresses through different stages. And uh, the at early stages of gum disease is actually really manageable. And early intervention is so important. And would you say that there's quite obvious signs of gum disease? Yeah, that's a good question. So the thing about gum disease, right, is that not everyone knows they have it. They might, for example, have occasional bleeding of the gums. They might have some sensitivity, but they oftentimes overlook it. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, when the disease really gets established, then we see significant problems. Gum tissues start to, gums recede, teeth become loose. uh, People's smiles are really affected. Um, But you know what? The key is, is, is identifying it early. So getting getting to your dentist. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're trained to examine their patients and to, to really give some sound advice. And, you know, most people, even the, the latest, the, the, according to the Irish Dental Association, almost 80% of the Irish population are, are entitled either under the PRSI scheme or the mm-hmm. medical card scheme to, to be That's examined right. by their dentist. But they don't go. They a lot don't. of people are actually afraid of the dentist for some reason. Actually, you know what, Anna? That's changed, to be honest. Really? Yeah, it has, thankfully. I mean... Nowadays, with, you know, um, social media and with the advent of, of, you know, TikTok and Instagram, mm-hmm. people are really taking an active role and people have become more conscious. It's just really oral health has exploded in the last few years. That's good. Which is great. So the question is, is, is who gets it or who, who can get gum disease? Yeah, anyone. Anyone can. Yep, it can. So at any age? Any age. Oftentimes we see cases start quite early. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, statistically, it's the sixth most uh, prevalent disease in the world. Absolutely, almost ten percent of the world's population have the severe forms of it, and almost fifty percent, if you look at the latest studies, actually have the moderate forms of the disease. And we're getting older, Anna. We're keeping our teeth, hopefully, mm-hmm. f- for as long as we can. But yeah, the disease can affect any age. Well, we're after getting a text in here, and they want to know that if you have gum disease, does it mean you're ultimately going to lose your teeth? That's a good question. This is a great question. So you know, the thing is, like, I was uh, lucky enough to, to interview some of the leading world's experts in this, and at the one. The questions I ask is, you know, is it curable? Is it mm-hmm. something that's really going to cause our teeth to fall out? And, you know, the answer to that was, it depends. You know, nowadays we felt, you know, years ago that if you had gum disease, they would your teeth would eventually fall off. But in fact, we can manage conditions now very, very well. Um, We have, you know, treatment options. We have certainly um, things that we can do for our patients that can really slow that down. Um, But unfortunately, it really, again, depends on the, at the stage that we get the disease at. Mm -hmm. 
honest. So it's really important to be seen early. Okay. Okay. Well, let's get into it. So yeah. what would you say would be the top tips for the healthiest possible gums you can imagine? Yeah. Well, I mean, it starts early. Okay. You know, particularly with kids. I think it's really important that it's a team effort. You know, parents oftentimes struggle with their kids. They really pull their hair out trying to get their kids to, to brush their teeth, to follow good advice. But you know, what? I recommend, you know, the team approach. Make a game out of it. Yeah. Watch mom and dad doing it. Sh- you know, make exercise. Make it just fun. Yeah. And that's where it really starts. It'll make the parents brush their teeth as well. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and encouraging them, you know, not just with toothbrushing. So it's really everything. It's about eating well, looking after themselves, exercise. All these things are really important for, for the mouth. Okay, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about brushing the teeth, the act of brushing your teeth. We've all been expected to do it since we were kids. Some of us are older than others and we should be at least knowing what we're doing. Can you talk us through the simple steps of the art of brushing your teeth? Yeah, so I mean, there's an awful lot of stuff out there that, you know, you can read and you can go on the internet. I suppose one of the things that starts with, um, particularly for kids, is just when their first introduction to the the dentist is to show them actually how to do it. So, you know, we've very simple tips and advice on children's toothbrushes, what to use, you know, what types of toothpaste to start off with. And um, the, the important thing, I suppose, is to, is to encourage them in their routine. Make sure that they're, uh, they have a technique that's, that's been used that's not going to overlook part of their mouth. You remember when children start off, they have baby teeth. Mm-hmm. But at some stage, you know, over the, the 10 to 12 year age group, that's really important because what happens then is you find that those kids start to lose their teeth and they develop into what's called a mixed dentition. So they get their permanent teeth. And that's the point. It's really important that they have really good habits because that but sets in the foundations. What, what I'm curious is, have adults good habits when it comes to brushing teeth? So do do we actually know we how to brush our own we teeth? We don't, we don't. Actually, you know, if we look at some of the studies, there's a big disconnect, Anna, between what we think is healthy and what is. Yeah. Um, most people are busy. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't do it as often as they should. They certainly um, don't do it properly. They're using things that oftentimes are hazardous. Uh, we find in my clinic particularly that a lot of patients are busy moms, busy dads, busy mm-hmm. people, and they're all oftentimes overbrushing. So how long should you spend brushing your teeth? That's a good question. I mean, there's no absolute answer to that. Generally, if you have, if you're healthy and you've been to your dentist and they're quite happy with your progress, about two minutes, once or twice a day. Like that's what, if I challenge anybody listening to put a timer on your phone for two minutes, yeah. I bet you we don't. Well, I, I certainly thinking I don't brush no, my teeth for no, two no, minutes at night. Actually, I find in my clinic, one of the things we do is we recommend a little egg timer. There's small little timers you can okay. get. Very fun, very useful. Put them in the bathroom or not even in the bathroom, just somewhere close by and you can actually see what yeah. you're doing. But you're quite correct. People are busy, Anna, you know, they just don't have time. And they so, fall into bed and they're not thinking about brushing their teeth. They're no. rushing out the door to work or they're <laughs> falling into bed. What I do want to get to yeah. as well is there's so many products in the market. What are the right products that we should be using? Well, you know, I can't endorse anything specifically. Of course. But all of the products, you know, they have, some of them have obviously benefited. Um, I mean, we're always concerned about, you know, the lack of, for example, fluoride. Fluoride is really important. Mm-hmm. It's well well documented. It strengthens teeth. It's particularly useful for all ages and elderly, especially because as we get older, uh, we find that our gums are oftentimes recede and they're under a lot more attack. So fluoride, I suppose, is one of the key elements of, of uh, using toothpaste. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's an awful lot of other things in toothpaste. Really? Yep. In fact, uh, one of the one of the leading uh, Irish toothpaste makers is in Offaly. Oh yeah, you see, they, we're brilliant. We're brilliant in this country. It <laughs> never ceases to amaze me. I do want to ask you about 
interdental brushes. Now that they sound for people listening much more complicated than they are. I I had them. I have to restock them. But tell people what they are yeah. and how to get the ones that are most suitable for okay, their teeth. Okay, so this is really important. You see, when people are brushing their teeth, oftentimes they think a toothbrush is enough. Well, it isn't. It really, you'll if you think that teeth are actually three dimensional. So patient, but people who are brushing their teeth oftentimes just brush the surfaces. The areas between teeth are where a lot of bacteria, a lot of food gets stuck and a lot of decay actually happens between teeth. So these little brushes, they're called interproximal brushes, there's an awful lot on the market, enough to confuse you. Mm -hmm. But they're designed to get into those really little small areas between teeth. And when they're used properly, they're really very helpful, very Mm -hmm. beneficial. And um, that coupled with a good toothbrush technique is a key element of really good oral hygiene. Well, speaking about toothbrushes, Michael has just texted in. He wants to know... What is the difference between a hard and soft toothbrush and if using a hard brush could be damaging his gums? Yeah, so, you know, this needs to be, uh, proper advice needs to be given. I mm-hmm. think toothbrushes, there there are off, there's a huge range out there. You know, even I was talking to one of your colleagues today, some of the newer ones now are the biodegradable ones, the ones that yes. are made of bamboo. Hard and t- soft toothbrushes, be careful. I mean, hard toothbrushes oftentimes lead to inappropriate techniques, oftentimes lead to gum recession. And um, again, busy people using Busy techniques, mm-hmm. that's the thing. Another text in here about how they're sick of hearing about electronic toothbrushes and is manual toothbrushing a thing of the past? To be honest, if you look at the evidence, every single day we get conflicting evidence. I suppose both of them work, but they have to be used correctly. Um, and uh, one of the things that your dentist will do will actually observe how you're cleaning your teeth and, and making sure that they, you're getting the proper advice. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned TikTok and social media earlier on. Um, whitening of teeth, you see glorious smiles all over social it's media. It's a huge, huge phenomenon. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's exploded. People mm-hmm. are using all sorts of products. Of course, you know, be careful. Well, an awful lot of things. Can it are... harm your gums? Can the whitening products yeah, well, actually the, harm the, your gums? The thing is, right, some people are using products that are not licensed. You know, and they're using okay. them over the internet, DIY. They're getting them through the through you know markets that we're certainly we don't recommend that. I mean, that's highly um, dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, tooth products, tooth whitening products. A lot of the claims that you'll find up from the manufacturers themselves. In fact, they're probably just more of um, I would say cleaning agents rather than whitening products. Right. And. You know, you mentioned treatments. What can listeners expect if they already have gum disease? Like what's their first port of call if they're going to the dentist, like you're talking, anything to do with roots or scaling? What are we talking here? I think first of all, we need to, to you know, take a, a really thorough examination. We need to examine, we need to find out, you know, what extent the condition is in. Because okay. as I said, you know, it can range from being very mild and mm-hmm. treatable to oftentimes being quite severe and quite difficult to manage at that stage. So the first thing we need to, to establish is at what stage is the disease at? And sometimes, you know, it's oftentimes reassurance, Anna. You know, yeah. they've come in and we're, we're quite happy with, with what's going on. So, you know, I'd just like to, to say, right, that in a couple of weeks' time, we have the, um, the Oral Cancer Awareness Day. And this mm-hmm. is very, very important. You know, mm-hmm. if you haven't been to your dentist in a while, this is really the time to go and, and see them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great opportunity. Probably the best investment you could ever make. Yeah, and as you said... Two minutes, in around two minutes, brushing your teeth. Make sure you're using the right products. Go to your dentist regularly and then make it a team effort at home so everybody make does it. Make a habit of it. Well, thank you so much, Thanks, Dr. Anna. Richard Leakin. I really appreciate you coming in. And of course, you can listen back to all of his advice and the rest of the show on the RT player or wherever you find your podcasts. Supercharged with Alec Geary on RTE Radio 1. So I love learning new things about health and well-being and love trying new things. So I'm hoping you're going to try this with me because I have a health hack of the week. 
And seeing as we're talking about toothbrushes, I said I would keep with a theme. So for the next week, I am challenging you all to brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand. So that lefties like me use your right hand and vice versa. You're probably thinking, why would I do that? Because brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand is actually proven to help stimulate your brain. Yeah, stimulate your brain. It's a concept called neuroplasticity. I'm not going to get into the science of it, but it basically means allowing new cells to grow in your brain. So you're not just improving your oral health when you brush your teeth, you're going to be improving your brain health at the same time. Get the kids involved. Now, the only thing is, you might look and feel a bit odd when you're doing it. it. It almost feels like somebody else is brushing your teeth for you. But you'll get used to it. Try it out. Let me know how you get on. It does work. You can email us at supercharged.rte.ie. So take off the challenge for the next seven days. And that's it. That is it for this evening. You can listen back to the show at rte.ie forward slash supercharged or on the RTE Radio Player app. Thanks to my superheroes on the Supercharged team. They're the real heroes behind it all. And thank you to everybody for your voice notes, your messages, your texts. They're still coming in. You can keep in touch with us at supercharged at rte.ie or you can reach out to me as well on Instagram at Anna G. Cork. Let me know what you thought of the show and let us know what you think we should be talking about here on Supercharged. But for now, mind yourselves and mind each other. Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. And Supercharged with Anna Geary is an Ojo production for RTE Radio 1.